Welcome to The Insider at Heritage Museums and Gardens, where every other week we chat with guests and museum staff about all the exciting things that are happening in season here at the museum. This year, the museum is celebrating its 50th anniversary, so please plan to join us. My name is Judith Getz, and I'm happy to be your host today. In this episode, we're speaking with Heritage's Director of Visitor Engagement, Heather Mead, and Jennifer Madden, the Director of Collections and Exhibitions. This is all about our 50th anniversary, of course. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Thank you. Now, this is something that has uh, been long in the making. It's something we've wanted to discuss for a while, and uh, I think people probably have a, a very... Um, strong curiosity about our our beginnings, our humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if we could start, Jennifer, probably um, you talking a little bit about who the Lilies were. As you walk into our special exhibits gallery this year, you'll notice an entrance that kind of gives you an understanding of who uh, created Heritage Museums and Gardens. So I'll give you the opportunity to talk about who they were. Okay, sure. Heritage Museums and Gardens was founded by J.K. Lilly III and his wife, Josephine, in 1969. Mr. Lilly III was highly influenced by his father, J.K. Lilly Jr., who had been an extensive collector of many different types of things, including uh, rare books and manuscripts, gold coins, ship models, paintings, art, all different, uh, firearms, military miniatures, all different sorts of things. So when, as we say, our Mr. Lilly, J.K. <laughs> the Third, um, he began collecting antique cars in 1964, and his dad died in May of 1966. So in a short amount of time, he had acquired a sizable collection of cars, and then from his father's estate, he purchased the collection of uh, his collection of American firearms and military miniatures. So in a short period of time, he had a lot of material. Uh, he and Josephine started talking really early on about just doing a standalone auto museum, but after they acquired the items from J.K. Jr.'s estate, they started to think broader and could their museum cover more than just cars? They looked around for property. They purchased this property in January of 1967. And, then and by this property, you mean the property where Heritage Museums and Artists is located, right in Sandwich? Yes, yes, yes I do. The former <laughs> Dexter Estate in Sandwich, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they set to work very quickly, and construction on the museum buildings began in the fall of 1967 in order to open in June of 1969. So this was basically just complete land. There was a house originally on the property. Yes. uh, Which is currently our administrative building. Right. Uh, But beyond that, uh, the rest of the museum kind of was not planned at that point, correct? Exactly. There were a couple small outbuildings, um, but most of the ground was wooded and had the rhododendrons on it that had been planted by Charles Dexter in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. So Heather, I want to turn to you for a second and just kind of um, have a greater understanding. The passion actually grew from an idea that they had of uh, having more visitor engagement and more engagement with American history as well. Yes, that's right. This is a family that has been incredibly philanthropic in many different ways. And I really appreciate the fact that, as Jennifer was describing, once they had 
this incredible collection themselves of treasures from American history, that their impulse was really to share it and really make it publicly accessible. Because I think Mr. Lilly observed, our Mr. Lilly, JK <laughs> the Third, as Jennifer mentioned, he observed his father, with his collecting, he had created a place to display his pieces, but was only shared with friends and family, and really felt that there was a greater opportunity to share it more broadly. And over time, I think JK the Third also really, as he and Josephine started to think about what the impact of creating a museum would be, he really thought about what the educational opportunities and possibilities were. And he, there's a wonderful quote from him that talks about his vision of heritage as really being an outreaching force for education that would really extend beyond just Sandwich or, just, or beyond just Cape Cod, in his words. And I think that that's really inspired. Now, as far as the museum is concerned, you had mentioned that there were a couple buildings that were constructed when the museum uh, first opened in 1969, um, but we've gone beyond uh, some of those original ideas, and we now, for example, have uh, the 100-acre school here. And what are some of the other elements that kind of grew out of the, the passion that they had started when they opened the museum? I do think Mr. Lilly laid the, the foundation for heritage to be a place that was ever-changing, and he really felt strongly that heritage remain relevant to our community. So I, I think it, we've hopefully done a good job of stewarding his legacy over time in that the museum has continued to grow and change, adding things Jennifer could, could describe, things that have been added since the museum first opened its doors in 1969, uh, but adding everything from new exhibition space and really thinking uh, differently about adding to our collections, all the way through thinking about what, how we could best be acting in service of our community. And so, as you mentioned, Judith, the 100 Acre School, you know, expanding to continue that educational mission. And we knew that the, this was something that the community felt was essential, having quality early childhood education. So really being consistent with what his vision was, but um, <laughs> implementing it in ways that are relevant in, in our 21st century. So I'm kind of curious. Well, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I have some ideas in my head, but um, can you expand a little bit about what Heather was saying about some of the new items mm. that, that are here now? Sure. Uh, we have certainly added to the initial collection that the Lilies formed. Um, I think most notably a collection of Native American items, which began to be added in the late 1970s and through the 1980s, responding to a expressed need of um, and desire of teachers on the Cape to see that type of material. Well, even just the fact that we added a whole building after the museum's original opening in 1969, the uh, what visitors would be familiar with as our American Art and Carousel Gallery was not open when Heritage first opened to the public. If folks have visited and are familiar, the auto gallery was open with JK III's collection of antique automobiles and what we now call the Special Exhibitions Gallery, which housed at the time um, the military miniatures and firearms that JK Jr., his father, had collected. And of course, uh, the beautiful gardens and grounds, including, as Jennifer mentioned, the Dexter rhododendron. But after the museum had been open, J.K. and Josephine thought, you know, how could we continue to expand Heritage's 
the offerings in the collection, the American history stories that we're telling, and also maybe appeal to a wider audience. So in 1972, it was called the Arts and Crafts Building at the time. That building was added. Um, Jennifer could speak to J.K. and Josephine were also collectors of American folk, fine, and decorative arts. Yes, uh, they had a uh, began their collections in those areas before the museum. I think before they even conceived of the museum mm-hmm. and had those items uh, at their home. But after they opened the initial museum with the auto gallery the windmill, which was moved here in time for opening in 1969, and also the military museum that Heather mentioned, the feedback that they were getting initially was that there was not enough here to interest women. And so almost immediately they began the plans for the arts and crafts building. Of course, the centerpiece of that is the carousel. Yes, and originally absolutely. intended for the carousel to be a freestanding building on the, the pond front, but changed their minds once they started conceiving of a bigger building. So when the Arts and Crafts building opened in 1972, there were galleries of uh, American arts and crafts. So in particular, with some emphasis on the Cape. So Elmer Kroll bird carvings were included there, Nantucket baskets, scrimshaw, folk art that you would find here on the Cape, as well as some wider uh, topics as well, pewter, silver, that sort of into paintings and carvings certainly were included there as well. There were also two galleries of uh, American tool collections as well. Mr. Lilly had purchased an entire, um, I don't know how many tools were in that collection, thousands? <laughs> it's from, an eclectic group. I right, mean, I've learned things yes, from looking at them. <laughs> yeah, the collector, original collector had been in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was a great collection to buy, but expedient as well when you've got a building opening very soon and we need to fill these galleries now um, (laughs) to acquire that collection as a whole and then display those items in two of the galleries at the art museum. Now, one of the things that uh, you hear frequently from visitors, both young and old, is their absolute love and passion for the carousel, Mm -hmm. which you had just mentioned. But I was wondering, uh, you know, one thing we've never really discussed is uh, the history of the carousel. Ah, And it's probably a good time to kind of talk about the history of the carousel as well. Sure. The carousel as we know it today was assembled on a single platform in 1908, but the horses themselves vary in time. So the large outside row horses with the checkerboard saddle blankets are the oldest horses on the carousel, dating from the 1880s or so. Okay. All They were all made at the Charles Louf factory by one manufacturer, but it was not uncommon for a amusement park somewhere to buy a carousel and then trade it in back at the at the factory for a new carousel with new figures or it's bigger or there's more menagerie figures on it or whatever so carousel manufacturers were getting previously carved horses back all the time so as you look at our carousel the middle row horses and the inside row horses are smaller in size and they are also newer in date so some of the horses are 1880s, as I said, some are about 1900, some are about 1908. Okay. What we understand about the history of the carousel after that point is that it went and was used at a, an amusement park in the south. 
we have not been able to identify which amusement park that was. But in the 1960s, it was acquired by a uh, amusement wholesale dealer in Coney Island. Mm -hmm. And a collector on the Cape uh, went down, Hallett Tobin was his name, went and purchased the horses from that dealer. He learned at that point that the original platform and mechanism was still down south. So he drove there to buy it only to find that it had been stored outside for years and years and had, it wasn't usable mm -hmm. anymore. So he acquired a new platform for it in the 60s and hoped to put the carousel up in his backyard in Provincetown, but the government in Provincetown, town managers weren't very happy about that plan and told him that he couldn't do that. That's too bad. <laughs> Their loss, our gain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So he ended up uh, using a local auctioneer, Richard Bourne, to sort of broker the sale of the carousel. Richard Bourne had been working with Mr. Lilly already and purchasing items for the collection and knew that a carousel might perhaps be interesting for Mr. Lilly's planned museum. So that's how the deal got made. The deal got made. And one of the things I would like to point out as well is that I believe it was last year uh, we were honored by uh, the Carousel Association. Carousel Association. Exactly, for yep. our, our preservation efforts yes. in regards to the carousel. So it is yep. well-preserved and well-loved, yes. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely well-loved. And how wonderful that uh, Mr. Lilly really was the one who had started its preservation journey. I think it has spent more time indoors now than it did <laughs> during its previous life prior to coming here. So, it, of course, the Lily's legacy as far as the museum collections, object collections, the telling of the stories of American history is so, is so vital, what they've done. But also, I think, back to your question about how heritage has changed and evolved over time, I also am really proud to think of what changes have happened outside here mm -hmm. at Heritage too. You know, Heritage is the collections and the collection of buildings, but it is also 100 acres of phenomenal public garden. And the gardens have really been transformed over time and expanded also just as the collections have expanded. And so it's wonderful to reflect back and think that we now have a flume fountain mm -hmm. and a collection of water plants that weren't in existence in 1969. I think Mr. Lilly would love that. We have a labyrinth on the property now. We have a garden maze. Mm -hmm. The new Garden of the Senses that's opening is, you know, continuing the expansion to have our gardens be as connected and relevant to visitors today as they were back, back in 1969. Just continuous growth and expansion and expanding the plant collections as well to include, for example, the North American Hydrangea Test Garden, 150 plus varieties of hydrangea that were not existing on the property when Mr. Lilly purchased it in 1969. So that sort of the vision has just continued to grow over time, I think is really wonderful. Now, um, as we think about the 50th and the upcoming 50th, I'm only saying that, and that we do have a celebration coming up on June 15th. 
um, to commemorate all uh, that we basically discussed here. And of course, anybody that has any uh, specific questions about the collections and such can always um, get a little bit more insight when they come by speaking to an interpreter. And uh, certainly we also respond well to emails as well. <laughs> um, but uh, I'd like to take this moment just to kind of explore what we'll be doing on June 15th. Strangely enough, it is a Saturday, and it is the exact same day that we opened up back in 1969. Isn't that fabulous? It is fabulous. It's unusual yes. that you get to celebrate on a day when everybody can part uh, hopefully participate with us. Meant to be. Meant to be. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about what that day is going to look like for a visitor. We, are, we have been looking forward to this at least since our 45th. <laughs> what, a great, what a great opportunity to celebrate our 50th. So for visitors... When they arrive, museum will be open from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And one of my favorite things about the day is that we are throwing back to 1969's original admission price of $1.50 per person. Yeah, where can you go for $1.50 now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How great is that? Jennifer has brought out some really fabulous things from our archives around the museum's original opening, as you said, on that Saturday in June of 1969, June 15th, and so we could find the original public opening information about that, so we're excited about that, and we're really, we hope that everyone will join us to help celebrate with a fun-filled day with activities for the entire family, everything from crafts to outdoor games to performances to scavenger hunts to photo ops and, of course, birthday cake. Yeah, who doesn't love birthday cake? That's actually happening at 1 o'clock for those that are interested in birthday yes. cake. <laughs> so all the makings of a, of a good birthday celebration. Absolutely. A ton of family activities um, and, uh, and hopefully plenty of sunshine as well. Yes. And the evening, actually, hours uh, will include something that was one of Mr. Lilly's favorites. And um, I know that we have uh, spoken a lot about that particular event. That event starts at 6 o'clock, I believe. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about the band that will be performing that evening. How lucky for us that Mr. Lilly didn't just love art and history. He also loved performance. And one of his favorite, favorite bands was the uh, terrific band New Black Eagle Jazz Band, who performed for many, many, many years since Heritage's opening, and we're thrilled to have them back. Let me just take this moment. We'll play a little bit of their music right here. All right, so now you've got a little bit of a taste. So you can hear that they are infectious, they're soulful, they play really uplifting New Orleans-style traditional jazz, blues. It's a seven-piece band, and they really pay homage to the great musical um, early greats of the early jazz era, Louis Armstrong, Jelly Roll Morton, Duke Ellington, but they also have really their own eclectic sound, and they do things like incorporate popular music from the 20s and 30s, and even some songs recorded by... Elvis and Bob Dylan. <laughs> so they really are widely recognized as one of the premier traditional jazz bands in the world. And we're really thrilled to bring them back. They have such fond memories of performing at Heritage. And what a terrific opportunity for our community. Now, for anybody that's interested in these tickets, of course, you can go to our website, which is heritagemuseums.org. You can buy your tickets online. And again, that starts at 6 o'clock 
on Saturday, June 15th. So that will be an evening performance. I believe you can also purchase a little something to eat from the cafe so uh, you can make a night of it. Absolutely. There's nothing like seeing a performance at our outdoor concert stage. Bring chairs and blankets spread out on the on the lawn. It is a wonderful sort of bowl-shaped area of the grounds where the acoustics are phenomenal. It's just a wonderful place to hear music in the open air. Well, I want to uh, close by wishing you both happy birthday, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a staff celebration in so many, many ways. So I want to thank you both. Of course, we've been speaking with um, Heritage's Director of Visitor Engagement, Heather Mead, and Jennifer Madden, the Director of Collections and Exhibitions. And thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Insider at Heritage Museums and Gardens. Today's interview has been brought to you by Arbella Insurance Foundation and Cape Cod 5, our 2019 season sponsors. You can hear more interviews like this one by finding us on iTunes. And more information about Heritage Museums and Gardens and upcoming programming, that can all be found on our website at heritagemuseums.org. Until next time, thank you so much for listening.